0: If you would, turn the Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to take a break from Minor Prophets, Zechariah. We'll be back there next week. But right now, Ephesians chapter 6. That's one of the letters in the middle of the New Testament. It's before Philippians, after Galatians. That's after Corinthians. If you can find Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, just start going towards the back a little bit and you'll find it. We're going to look at one verse, though. Ephesians 6, 4. I've got in the bulletin, I'm calling this, The Father I Want to Be. Man, there's a lot that goes into parenting. A lot of hardship. A lot of heaviness. A lot of emotions. I want today to encourage all of you, both moms and dads, and even if you're not a mom or a dad, that you would understand that in society and certainly in the church, that God has made every one of us to be like a parent. We are all to be fatherly and motherly to those around us. So today's message is not at all just for the dads. It's not at all just for the moms and dads. It is for every single one of us. God has designed the church to function in society like a family. We love each other, we're here for each other, we're to build each other up, hold each other accountable, help each other in so many ways. As I try to think about the dad that I am supposed to be, I find myself looking at all the other dads, comparing who does what good and how I can try to be better. I find myself looking back to my dad and how he raised me and learning so much from that. And then ultimately, I find myself looking mostly to God to see how is God to me? What type of a father is he to me? And can I, by his grace and by the power of his spirit, be like that to my kids? There are many factors that drive what I want to be. When I think about what was good for me growing up, It's a lot different the older I get. It's been a while since I've been a kid living at home under my parents. But one thing that I think about a lot is I can remember very, very clearly the times that my dad, with words, has built me up. Parents, listen to me. Adults, listen to me. I can remember like a recorded catalog where we were, what was happening, and the times that my dad built me up. I have a lot of memories. I can remember all the bad days too. But what I remember so clearly is the times he built me up. One time I was 11 years old and pitching in a baseball game for an 11-12 Dixie Youth League And something happened, I don't remember what happened, but there was like a confrontation in the game so that I was on the mound, my dad was the coach was on the mound, and the umpire had come to the mound, and my dad and the umpire had gotten into an argument on whether I was doing something the right way. And I'll never forget my dad arguing to the umpire that Josh knows what he's doing, Josh knows how to do it, he's not doing it the wrong way, and I can guarantee you that. Now who knows whether I was right or wrong, I don't remember at all. But man, it felt good to be on the mound to see my dad arguing for me. Remember another time in North Carolina where I grew up, pine needles are a really big thing for yard decorations. I don't know if that's a thing around here. But guys will drive like through the neighborhood with a big flatbed truck with bales of pine needles and they'll just stop by and see if you want some. And my dad loves them and he'll buy bales of pine needles that have fallen off trees and been gathered up. And so instead of mulch, People will decorate their flower beds with pine needles. Really popular in, in North Carolina. And I remember when the truck pulled up one time when I was there, when I was in college, we went out there to get some. And my dad, of course, hollers at me to carry these bells up to the yard. And he's buying them off the guy off the truck. And uh, I'm thinking it's just some random guy he doesn't know. But he hollers for me to come down there and he says, Man, I want you to meet my boy. And I was in college. And he says, Man, I want you to meet my boy. God's called him to be a preacher. And it was kind of like he thought that was weird, but he also wanted to share it. I've never forgotten that. Then I remember when we got married, and he thought it was the neatest day. He was so proud of me for getting married, I remember that. And then recently, his mom and dad have passed away, and I got asked to go back to Charlotte to do their funeral. And that was hard, and that was emotional. And my dad, like most men, um, Never really showed emotion my whole life. I've never really seen that. But it was really cool to see him um, hug me and build me up and say things like, thank you for doing the funeral, you did a nice job, and things like that. And what I'm saying is that I can remember clearly those times where he has built me up. As I think about being a parent now, it is being used by God That I read God's word and I see God say things like, he loves me, he's never giving up on me, he laid down his life for me, he will forgive me of all my sins, he is here for me, uh, whoever, uh, if, if God is for me, who can be against me, right? You know these promises that are in the scripture about the father that God is to us. And when I'm able to see in the Bible how God is and then connect that with, man, that's what I felt growing up from my dad, then I'm beginning to get a shape of what I'm supposed to be. In Ephesians chapter six, the apostle Paul writes to the church and he addresses the family. In chapter six, verse one, he speaks to the children and says that they are to obey their parents In the Lord, for this is right. In chapter 6, verse 2, he says, Honor your father and mother. He's quoting one of the Ten Commandments, the fifth commandment. In chapter 6, verse 4, he speaks to the fathers. Now, I do want to say here, as you can see in chapter 6, verse 4, that it says fathers there, but I want to let you know, and I've said this before, that Greek, like Spanish, Is able to say fathers and mean mothers and fathers. In Spanish, when you say brothers, it means brothers and sisters, or it could mean brothers. It depends on who, the the, the makeup of the group. So you can't just know it from reading it, it depends on who's hearing it. So this could mean. Mothers and fathers. And since in uh, verse 1, he says your parents. And and since in verse 2, he says your father and mother. It is most likely that fathers in Ephesians 6, 4 means fathers and mothers. So I want you here today to not just think we're addressing the men. We're addressing all of us. Read with me in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, one verse today. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This verse right here is what I want to be. It's what our children need from us. It's what we ought to be. Vodi Balcom, a famous preacher, has said that the world defines manhood by these three Bs, the ball field, the bedroom, and the billfold. Hey, pretty true, is it not? We idolize those that are good at sports, good looking, or big money. The ball field, the bedroom, or the billfold. Church, I want you to be reminded here today that's not what we prioritize. I want you to be reminded here today that's not what we desire. I want you to be reminded here today and built up and strengthened that's not our goal. Rather, our goal is that our children would be not brought up in anger, that they would be disciplined and instructed in the Lord. That is quite a bit different than the other three. So let's look at verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The first thing he says is not what we do, but what we don't do, and I'm going to speak about this again in a little bit. The Bible seems to do this a whole lot, and I think that's profound. He says what we shouldn't do, we should not be a provoking type of parent. We don't want to provoke our children. You know, so often in parenting, this is what we do children are disobedient. Of course, they are. They need to be instructed and trained. We all know that. Until you know better, you have to learn to know better, right? Until you know better, you have to learn to know better. And so a whole, 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 whole lot of what parenting is, is helping kids to stop doing the wrong things and learn to do the right things, right? Nobody grows up loving Jesus. You have to come to know Jesus. Nobody grows up in the straight and narrow. You have to figure out what the straight and narrow is. You have to be led by the Spirit of God into that. And so there's going to be a whole lot of correction along the way. But how we correct becomes so very important. How we parent becomes so very important. And as we all know, there is a tendency in a sinner like me or in a flawed parent like me to do it in a way that bothers the child. And while it may be teaching them what is right, it does it in a way that bothers them and doesn't build them up. This is what provoking is. Provoking is driving you to do something. And the Bible knows. Man, the Bible knows. You know, there's a... A lot of effort for people to try to get you to see the Bible's not relevant I don't see it this Ephesians 6 four today is the most relevant verse you could ever imagine for Josh Green in 2019 right my mornings my afternoons my evenings are swamped with dealing with kids and God speaking to it right here is as relevant as can be I can't tell you how many times I have made my kids frustrated or I have hurt their feelings or I have let them down or I have made them mad. I have perhaps provoked them to anger. And the Bible says right here, Josh, don't do that. There's a tendency in a prideful person like myself That when somebody doesn't live up to the expectation that you say something to get under their skin to try to tear them down in hopes that they would see the light. And that's just not the way God's designed it. Name calling doesn't work. Sissy, crybaby, things like that aren't good. It hurt feelings. It provoke people to get angry. And God tells us not to do this. And while you and I know that there is a lot of parenting that happens that way, why can't you be like this kid? Or why can't you be better? Or you should be smarter than that or something like that. I don't even think that that's the majority of the provoking. Words may provoke. But I think more of the the lifestyle is what really provokes them. For we have not trained our kids to move in a certain direction, it's more our fault, and then they are put in a position in life where they should be doing other, or they should be doing better, or they should be doing something else, and they are frustrated, they are embarrassed, they are hurt, they are disappointed. A kid that's supposed to perhaps know how to read is called on to read in class and the whole class has to uh, laugh at them or the teacher has to deal with it or something like that. And now the kid is living an angered life and they've been provoked to that by the parents that did not invest in them. A kid that should know a work ethic or a kid that should know respect to an adult is now in a situation where the adults consider them lazy or a bum or no good or worthless when perhaps it's not the kid's fault that their parents didn't create in him a work ethic. Or perhaps it's not the kid's fault that the parents had no respect and therefore, the kid doesn't know respect. And yet, when they are supposed to have respect, now the adults that don't see respect out of them, there the kid is provoked to anger. Is it not a common thing in 2019 to see kids that rage? Is it not? Perhaps the anger has been provoked by the parenting. Certainly, it's there with our words, just on the spot type of thing, name calling. But perhaps it's much deeper. I remember last year, and I think i told this story before, but I remember last year, the kids had a whole group of kids over to the house one, one day after school, about 10 kids playing in the backyard, and they were playing some game, and one of the kids lost his cool, started screaming, and ran off and hid. These are like 10 or 11-year-olds. Totally not the way a 10 or 11-year-old should act, and you all know that. We don't run from our problems. We don't hide. We don't scream. Kids ought to know better than that. And by the way, if the kids see that from the adults. Adults should never act that way, by the way. The kid did that around all of his peers, screamed, ran, cried, hid. And one of the other kids was over at our house said, I'll tell you what, he plays Fortnite, It's a video game. I said, what do you mean he plays Fortnite? He said, this is a fifth grader. He says, statistics show that kids that play Fortnite are much more likely to rage. I laughed about it. It's probably right. So we've got an angry kid, though, at a guest's house. Whose fault's that? Seriously. You got an angry 10-year-old that doesn't know how to play with friends at a, at a guest's house. Whose fault's that? Who provoked him to it? The Bible says here, parents, Do not provoke your children to anger. When we belittle kids, we're not putting them in position to be built up, to be confident, to be strong, to know that they're loved. And as I think these days about what my life was like and my upbringing, and I'm telling you that all of these scenes come to mind of when my dad built me up. Perhaps what the Bible is wanting us to understand is that it is through nurturing, it is through affirmation, it is through love that God has designed us to grow up, that for we get stronger through the good, helpful, healthy relationship of nurturing, Listen to me, you and I know that in the context of first century Christianity, especially in Ephesus, among pagan cultures, right, of these cultures in the world where there was this domineering male head figure that he was not to be bothered, and he bossed people around, and the lady was to do what he told him to do, and the children were to do what he was supposed to do, and kids were to be seen and not heard, and when there was that type of uh, chauvinistic, masculine authority domineering around, listen... Paul writes to the church and says, dads, we don't parent like that. We love our kids. We we lay down our lives for them. We hug them. We build them up. We kiss them. We play with them. We wrestle with them. We're buddy with them. We're teammates with them. We are here for our kids to know that they are loved, loved, loved. There is a father in heaven that gives us a parable of his wayward disappointment, inheritance taking, spending, blowing, disappointing son, running out and living it up with partying and worldliness and being a huge failure. And when he comes back, the dad is there crying, celebrating, throwing a party, fattened calf, everything, hugging him around the neck, rejoicing. And the Bible wants us to know that there's a whole world of people out there that don't know God and are trying to parent with just authority. And they're missing out because God also parents with love and affection. Next time you see some angry kids, and boy, there are some angry kids these days, I want you to think first. What makes them so angry? What makes them so angry? And then I want you to remember Ephesians 6. Fathers, mothers, do not provoke your children to anger. After he says that, he says, but... Bring them up. Man, that's a good phrase. Bring them up doesn't allow you and I to say, I did that, right? It doesn't allow us to be able to have a checklist or just have one or two things that we did. It doesn't allow us to be able to say, I, I taught them to read or I took them to church or I didn't do this or I didn't do that. It wants us to think about the long haul, that it's ongoing, that it's a lifetime, that it's at least you know, 16, 18 to 21 years of being involved day in and day out. Many failures, many successes, many parties, many disappointments, many tears, many laughs. Many, 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 many experiences in this process of bringing them up. Not something that happens just in the summer. It's not something that happens just in the elementary days. It's something that is in the family for a lifetime, especially the early years. Bring them up. I like the way it sounds. Bring them up. When you talk about bringing them up, it, it gives you the idea that you're going up. You're going somewhere. And you're bringing them with you. It gives you the idea that your life already has a calling and purpose to it. You've already been brought up. And if mom and dad have already been brought up and they know what they're heading toward or what they're going to or what they're living for, then mom and dad know where they're going. And in short, the answer to that is living for the glory of God. That God is our guide, God is our father, God is our purpose, God is our joy, it's our peace, he's our strength, God is our reward, God is our aim. We live for God. That's the direction we're going. That's the direction we were going before we got married, it's the direction we're going now that we're married, it's the direction we're going whether we have kids or not. And when we have kids, guess what? They get included in the direction we're going, we're bringing them with us. There's not some new agenda in my life. Oh, great, now I got kids. I better learn to stop cussing and stop smoking. I'll just include them with it. No. My life's going toward God, the Bible wants us to understand. And if God gives children, guess what? I'm bringing them along. We're living for God. I remember one season, wasn't this year, I was coaching baseball up at the ball field and Boy showed up to practice without his glove. Can you imagine? I said, uh, all right, you need to get out there and warm up. That's how you start a practice, you get out there and warm up. I said, you need to get out there and warm up, he said, oh, I didn't bring a glove. I said, you came to baseball practice without bringing a glove. Remember, don't provoke, right? I said, you came to baseball practice without a glove? He said, yeah. I said, do you think you need a glove at baseball practice? He said, yeah, I need a glove. I said, you think so? He said, yeah. I said, all right, well, why didn't you bring it? He said, "I wasn't thinking." I think sometimes in parent parenting, we know we're supposed to bring our kids with us to the Lord, but we haven't been thinking about what that looks like. We haven't been thinking about are they with us? Why didn't you bring them with you? Why didn't you bring them with you with all those desires and passions? Why didn't you bring them with you with all that conviction? Why didn't you bring them with you? Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. When he says bring them up, he mentions now two things that were to bring them up in. They are in this process, they are in this work, they are to be brought up in this life, in this lifestyle, in this activity, in this faith, in this worship, they are to be brought up in it. But as I mentioned earlier, before they are to be brought up in that, or at least before he says that they are to be brought up in that, he does say that we're not to provoke them. And the Bible does this a lot, and I just want to point it out here today, that often before we know what we are, we're to also Make clear what we're not. Psalm 1 is one of my favorite psalms. Uh, Psalm 1 verse 3 says, you're to be like a tree. It's an image that I just absolutely love. It's a picture of the blessed man. The blessed man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And in all that he does, he prospers. Psalm 1 says that. That there is a man or a woman blessed who is like a tree that's roots are down and it never gets too dry. It never gets dried up. It's always fueled by this river. It yields its fruit in the proper season. It's always healthy. Blessed man is to be like a tree, it says in Psalm 1. But before it says that, it says his delight is in the law of the Lord. So that blessed person that's like a tree loves the word of God and it says that he meditates on it day and night. But before it says that, it tells us three things that he's not. It's fascinating. The blessed man meditates on the word of God day and night, he's like a tree, always prosperous, always fruitful. That awesome picture in Psalm 1, before you understand what he is, you have to understand what he's not. The Bible does this time and time again. Just recently, with several people in the church, memorized Titus 2, 11 to 14. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. Three passages right here, Ephesians 6, Psalm 1, Titus 2, where before God tells us what we are, he puts us in the picture of what we are not. You need to know that. In Psalm 1, he walks not in the counsel of the wicked. He, walks, he stands not in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers. There is a whole world of people out there who have their opinion on how it is to be a kid, how their opinion on how it is to raise a kid, how their opinion on what it means to love a kid and do this and do that. Everybody's got their own opinions. Many are really, 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 really good. But we are a people who have come to God as the most ultimate beautiful picture of what it means to be fatherly y'all God is such a good father as they sang the song great is thy faithfulness I was reminded today that my life has got a lot of ups and downs to it there are some days where I'm just so out of it and discouragement is all around then there's other days where I'm just kind of so happy life's like that and your life probably is too I was reminded as they sing, as they sang, this quote from Lamentations 3 that great is the faithfulness of God. You and I are to be reminded here today that He loves us and He will not fail us. He will not let us down. He will secure our place in eternal life in heaven through Jesus if you will commit your life to Him and seek Him for the forgiveness of sins. With that beautiful view of the ultimate parent, God the Father, you and I are to understand, we look to God to understand parenting. And in looking to God to understand parenting, we hear him say that there are some ways not to do it. We don't provoke. So this idea of making fun of kids or ridiculing kids or beating this down, and I want to be real careful here, but even this idea of tough love, and if you know me in the way that I parent, I think I do a lot of tough love, but the thing about tough love is that there is love in tough love. It means that the toughness makes sense because of the love, if you understand tough love. It is not tough love, and please stop using it, you bully parents. It's not tough love if there's no love. If all you are is this mean, authoritative, you're going to do it my way or else you're going to get out of my sight type of person, there's no love in that. There's no love in that. When God calls us to repentance, when God looks us in the eye or looks us right in the heart and tells us that we're wrong and we need to stop doing what we're doing because God does that. When God does that to us, he does that. With the most sincere, tear in his eye, blood on his hands, death on the cross, empty grave, towel around his waist, feet been washed, there for you, always with you, never giving up, you can't get away from me, power. It's a tough conversation that God has when he tells you you need to change, you need to stop, you need to repent and get right. It's a tough conversation when God's doing that in your life. But make no mistake about it, it never comes without true, heartfelt love, sacrificial love. God loves us. He doesn't tough love us into making us be a certain way. So, it's important for us to understand, as we hear this phrase, bring them up, in the process, that we understand... That there is something that we, there are things that we do and there are things that we don't do. And before he gets into what we don't, before he gets into what we do, he mentions another that we don't. We do not provoke children. We don't want our children angry. We want our children peaceful. We want our children thriving. We want our children confident. We want our children resting that God is a father, that their sins are forgiven, that Christ is the Lord. He's a shepherd that will never lead them astray. They can trust him always. I don't want them frustrated in life. So fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. And then he gives us two things, and they are the discipline and instruction of the Lord. R.C. Sproul says that discipline is the shaping of the will through training. The shaping of the will through training, what you want to do, why you want to do it, what you don't want to do, and why you don't want to do it because you have been trained to do that. You have been told many, many, many times, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. You've been told many, many times, do that, do that, do that, do that, do that, right? you have been trained to do certain things. That's exactly what discipline is, right? We've all heard those talks before about it takes this many times to create a habit, right? We've heard all of those things. And the Bible says that we are to bring our kids up in a discipline. And there are tons of things that they need to be disciplined in. They need to know how to make their bed and to brush their teeth and put on deodorant. We're actually learning that right now. But they're, they're So many things that kids have to learn to do. I mean, literally hundreds. They have to learn how to pump gas. They have to learn how to ride a bike. They have to learn how to say yes, ma'am. They have to learn how to hold a door if a lady's about to go into the door, right? They have to learn how to sit like a lady and never let their skirt come up. We could go on and on with a thousand million different things that they have to learn to do so that it is like clockwork that every single time they do it. And they have to learn that for the Lord. They have to know the why behind it. They have to know that God has a purpose in it. And that's what discipline is. Again, it's a shaping of the will through training. Then he says, instruction is a shaping of the mind through teaching, So when you take a shaping of the will, what we do, what we do, and you take a shaping of the, uh, uh, you take a, 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 so that was discipline, and you take instruction, which is a shaping of the mind through teaching, that you have learning to do certain things, and then you have truth coming in on why we are doing certain things, for the glory of God, because Christ is the Lord of my life, because everything else is pointless without him. And you see in this little phrase bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, a huge framework for family, for marriage, for parenting, for, listen to me, for society, for neighborhoods, for ball teams, for youth leagues, for schools. Children should not be driven to anger by any of us. They're to be loved and supported. And even when we have to correct them, call them out, tell them no, tell them stop, tell them they are going down a road that's going to mess them up for a long time. Even when they are stopped from doing things, they have to understand it in love and they have to know why. And it takes a long time. It takes discipline. It takes instruction. It takes teaching. Listen, guys, and I will speak just to the men here listen, it takes talking, it takes conversations. It means that men, because I know you women are great at it, it means men have to open their mouths, carve out times, do lunch dates with their kids, turn off the TV. It means there has to be a time when you say, uh, Val, will you take the rest out? Me and JJ are going to have a talk tonight. JJ, sit down right there. For the next half hour, we're going to talk about some big things. JJ starts middle school in August. You think there's some things we need to talk about? I think so. Can you imagine just trying to learn middle school without somebody talking you through it? One of the first questions we always ask in premarital counseling, we don't talk about sex until towards the end of it, but one of the first questions we ask in premarital counseling is, where'd you learn about sex from? And like 95% of the time, it's like the bus, the locker room, the track, the playground, the bed, the bed. Those are the answers we get like all the time. Those are the type of conversations that we need to have. And I know that they're hard conversations. They're awkward. Matter of fact, I know that 95% of us didn't have that conversation in our lives. So we got started. But boy, do we have to start it. And so if the Bible teaches us To bring them up in this, it's not a one-time thing. It's not something that just happens on Sundays. It's not something that happens at all during Sunday school. Again, it is a bringing up. I'm in this process. We've been invited into this by the very, listen, by the very nature of being in an intimate relationship that could produce a child, right? And the very thing that creates a child means we need to understand this. And if by the grace of God, he gifts you with a child and there are children in our presence, right? Whether they're ours, whether they're just neighbors, whether they are nieces and nephews, regardless of what they are, if they're just kids that attend our church, if there are children in our lives, we want them to not be provoked. We want them to be loved. We want them to be brought up a lifelong process at least 16, 18, 21 years together of discipline and instruction on what God is like, how good he is for them and how that will satisfy their hearts I want to ask you to turn now to the book of Hebrews and we're going to end there just go a little bit later in the Bible Hebrews chapter 12 I want you to see that God starts describing this and we're going to see a lot about it The discipline and instruction. You may have never read this before. I'm I'm learning more and more that when we really, really teach the Bible in a church, like Bible studies all the time, that there are light bulbs being turned on constantly because we've not really studied the Bible. Hebrews chapter 12. Start reading with me at verse (coughs) 5. That we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The author of Hebrews here is writing to us that you and I are to have a good understanding of discipline in our own personal lives because of the way God disciplines us. We're able to understand discipline in a family because we've been disciplined by God and we're able to understand discipline from God in our Christian walk because we've been disciplined by our parents. God wants us to see it both ways. God wants us to understand family because of our relationship with God and God wants us to understand God because of our families. That's a loaded statement, but it's a good one. It means that you and I have to really work hard and try hard and look to God and believe Jesus and strive to walk in his ways if we want to see God's ways of discipline and instruction working for good. In this passage here, let me just point out a few things that discipline does. In verse six, discipline is a sign of love. You see that? The Lord disciplines the one he loves. If somebody cares about you to help you and call you out and ask you to stop and, hey, I'd stop doing that, you know, those type of conversations, that is love. To be indifferent like I ain't saying anything is not love. To let people go off the deep end is not love. Discipline is a sign of love. But then look at verse nine. Discipline is also a sign of creating respect. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. It's a given to Paul in society that a good dad that disciplines his kids is creating respect in a relationship. Remember earlier I talked about kids that don't know how to show respect, perhaps why the respect is lacking? Discipline shows love. Discipline creates respect. Look at verse 10. Discipline is for our good. It's good for us. They disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good. It's good for us. And then lastly, look at verse 11. Later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Peaceful lives, peaceful hearts from the discipline that God creates. Now it's hard to take life and connect all of this until you trust Jesus. I remember... Getting saved when I was 12 years old. That's when I became a Christian. And I remember 13, 14, 15, which is kind of a blur to me. I don't recall much. And I remember at 16, God really started working in me. I started to read my Bible at age 16. And that's when I started attending church and really like wanting to be there. I remember 17, 18, going through high school, striving to live for Jesus. I remember going to college and feeling like it was time for me to grow up and thinking about what it meant to be a Christian. And I remember then, and I still remember now, and I think about it often, I was struggling, honestly, to put together family, good family, family, godly family. I struggled with that. I struggled with wanting to see why is a good family not enough, and why is a godly family not always a good family? You know what I mean. A lot of times church families aren't really the strongest families and a lot of times godly family, or good families aren't believers but they're really, really strong families and I wrestled with that and I was like, what's going on? And then in God's great providence, I moved off and went to college really far away. Weird, weird turn of events on how my life turned out but I graduated high school in Charlotte, North Carolina and I went to South Georgia, like the Florida line to go to a little college there While I was there for just three semesters, I met a family, the Gibbs family. And at that moment, in that year, God opened up my eyes to a dad that loved his family for the glory of God. I'd never really seen it before. All my years in church through high school or whatever, I knew some good dads and I knew some godly men, but I never really seen it all like flowing together. Like, man, this guy reads his Bible, loves his church. This man follows Christ, but he's a man in every other way I can think about too. He loves his kids, man. I remember being in college, if you can imagine. And on a Friday night, them inviting me over to their house to play ping pong in the garage. And the dad, on a Friday night, was having ping pong tournament with his 17, 18, 21-year-old family hanging out. And I'm like, I've never seen this before, ever. And on a Saturday night, we'd be over there and he'd order pizza for everybody and we'd watch a ball game. And he was this awesome, awesome man of God. He was dating his wife. I saw him kiss his wife in front of us. And then the Saturday night, he'd say, listen here, guys, y'all about to go to bed. You ain't staying up all night. We're going to wake up and go to Sunday school. I'll give you all a ride. And my mind just started to be like, oh my goodness. He worked all week, worked hard, strong as can be, tough man, paid the bills, loved his wife, spent time with his kids. I've played full court basketball with this grown man that was like 40 something years old. And my whole life, it began to come together. I'd never seen it before. I saw a man that loved and dated his wife and was with his kids all the time. I saw a man that walked with the Lord and all of a sudden the two good worlds of godly man and good man and godly family and good family linked up and then I started thinking to myself that's how God is I hadn't seen many examples of it but that's how God is God loves me God loves us And he's for us and he pushes us and he tells us to be joyful and be happy and delight in him. And he tells us that he's not holding a grudge against us. He sent his son to forgive us of our sins. He's never provoking us. He's calming us down. His spirit inside of us gives a peace that the world doesn't understand so that you and I are able with a full identity and assurance, we are able to live our lives and there's not a peer pressure, there's not a temptation that is stronger than the glory of God inside of us. Yes, the world is hard. Yes, sin is very tempting. Yes, this life is a mess, but the power of God loving us is stronger than everything. It is. The Bible wants us to understand that the way we understand family and love and therefore parenting is what we see in God God loves us this Father's Day as we read in the Bible fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord You and I are not first to think I've never really seen any good examples of that. You and I are not first to think I'm failing at that. You know what we're supposed to think? Man, God's really good at that. He really is a good, good father to me. He doesn't make me angry. Church, let me confess I probably make you angry. We probably make you angry. My children would probably admit I've probably made them angry. It's not right. We need to apologize. We need to say I'm sorry. We need to know how to open up and speak more and say I was wrong there. I let you down. That's not how it's supposed to be. I don't want to. Give me another chance. Trust me. I love you. I mean better. God. He loves us. He's trying to discipline us. He's instructing us. We're looking to him. We're learning from him. And why is he doing all that in our lives? Well, Hebrews just told us, love, respect, our good, peace. And once, listen, once you start to grasp how God fathers you, Listen, once you start to get how God is parenting you and believe it and trust him, then you get to start parenting. Then we get to start living in a community. Then we get to start embracing those around us. But until then, we're just gonna be busybodies with kids in our lives. Hope they turn out right and hope they don't ruin their lives. That's not the goal. The goal is to do it like God does it to us. Folks, let's trust Him. Let's trust the Lord. And with all the energy and effort we have, with all the prayers we have, with the Holy Spirit driving us to look to God our Father by His grace, let's let those under us see it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you for the great Father you are. Thank you for loving us, dealing with us, not frustrating us. Father, thank you for discipline, patience. Thank you for a life of bringing us up. Father, may we, by your grace, be able to do that. Thank you, God. For those over us that are fatherly and motherly, may we look to you and learn from it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. If you're